0: If you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of First Thessalonians, where we continue our studies, we're, we're just blitzing through First Thessalonians, right? I mean, just blazing, right? All right, Chapter Three, or at the end of Chapter Three today. And I hope you're off to a good start to your new year. I uh, hope that things have got off well, and you've got some ideas of where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do. And 2016 is looking to like to be a good year. And I just have one question for you: Where are you going? Now that you've started, what exactly is the game plan? What is your end game? What's the goal? What kind of goals do you have? What, what are you looking to do? I think you're going to find this principle will always come into play. Where we are going depends upon whom we are following, right? And if you're following self, like you're like, I'm in the driver's seat. I'm calling the shots here. I'm going to do everything. Uh, you're probably going to have a lot of frustration. In fact, you should expect that 2015 will look a lot like... 2016 is going to look like 2015. Because you're the one that's trying to manipulate circumstances and kind of work things out for your own pleasurable ends. Perhaps the crowd, the gang that you're following, or the ones that you'd like to follow, they're they're kind of set in the direction. Or your friends, or trends, whatever you see happening on TV and the mainstream media, and you are them on the website, and you're trying to copy... But who is leading you? Because whoever or whatever is leading you is really going to determine the direction of this upcoming year. And our culture has a lot of very attractive alternatives for you to follow. But if you're a Christian, you uh, ideally have a pretty strong interest in letting God direct your life. But you might find that you've got like your own version of Star Wars going on right now in your own mind and heart you remember star wars i mean like this this movie's been around since i was a kid okay so if you've been like absent for the last 40 years and this is a new something new to you star wars has been around for a long time and you remember you got like luke skywalker and you got Darth vader now uh this is a spoiler alert if you didn't see Empire Strikes Back, it came out in 1980. I'm going to reveal some information like, whoa, I never saw that coming. OK, you remember that scene where you've got Darth Vader and he's taking on Luke Skywalker and they are going at it man. they are fighting. I mean, Darth Vader, he's the guy in the black here. He's got this overpriced Halloween costume. Um, he's he's got a vitamin D deficiency. I mean, he's all white because he never sees the sun. Uh, he doesn't play well with others. And he is going after Luke, and it's at this scene, kind of toward the end of the movie, that he reveals to Luke. Luke is the guy hanging on for dear life right there, that I'm your father. You know my best James Earl Jones voice? I'm your father, right? And he's telling him, follow me, right? He's saying, this is your destiny. And and Luke is like, no, no, I don't want to look like you. I don't want to follow you. And he's like, no. And and Luke is hearing this Darth Vader guy, and he's, Darth is telling him, it's your destiny, come with me, it's the only way, and Luke is like, no, and besides, you cut my hand off, I mean, if you wanted me to follow you, this wouldn't be the way you'd go at it, right? And what Luke does is he's like, no, I'm not going to do it, and he drops, right? And he lets go of this, and he kind of falls, you know, into this big abyss here, and he's eventually rescued. Okay, I totally gave it away, you don't have to watch any of the Star Wars movies now, I just told it. But you know, I have news for you. You don't have to go and follow the dark side. You don't have to, but it's calling for you. You don't have to go with the flow. 2016 doesn't have to look like 2015. In fact, if you are a Christian, truly a believer in Jesus, not one of these, you know, hypothetical or superficial, but I'm talking about a genuine believer in Jesus. Jesus has two words for you. Follow me. He intends for his people to follow him he's the lord of the universe he's saying listen not only have i secured your salvation i got an amazing plan for your future both in this life and the life to come i want you to learn how to follow me so what does that really look like for god to be our guide in this life it's not like we see jesus physically and and there he is like oh okay and he tells you, like, in this relationship, this is what you need to do. With your business, this is the next call. This is your next step academically. But he doesn't, he, we don't see him. And so what does it really mean to let God be your guide? If you don't know the answer to that question, I, I want to tell you that it's showing. You not knowing. You not knowing the answer to the question, how do you let God be your guide? It's revealed. In fact, you see it in your own life, guilt, guilt. Uh, things don't work right. Uh, there's a sense of kind of apathy at times. That's why this particular prayer, and I've been looking forward to getting to this for some time, is so critically important. Right in the heart of First Thessalonians, beginning in verse 11, you have this amazing prayer on how to let God be your guide in life. And it's simple and yet it's profound. And when this prayer becomes our prayer, we can have absolute confidence that God is guiding us in our life. So what does this look like? Well, look at verse 11. In order for God to be your guide, this is going to sound like obvious after I say it, but you've got to ask God to direct your way. Well, that makes sense. You want God to be your guide? Well, you actually have to ask him, God, would you direct my way? Look at how Paul goes about it. Verse 11. So he's praying, now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. So notice this, God our Father and Jesus our Lord. They're on the exact same plane. That's because the Bible presents to us, God's book, that God is three in one. He is triune. There are three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they are co-equal. They have differing roles. And he's saying, may God our Father and Jesus our Lord, meaning Master, he's the supreme one of the universe, Lord, would you would you direct our way? And so that's what he's asking. And he's, he's saying, we want to come to you, and this has been something you've seen throughout chapter 3, where, where Paul is saying, I eagerly and earnestly want to be with you. Why? Because he wants to see people... Not only trust Jesus, but grow to the fullness of maturity in Christ. It's kind of like Lloyd John Ogilvie said this. There's nothing more exciting than helping another person become a Christian. Isn't that fun? That's exciting, right? You ever been involved in helping someone become a Christian? You're like, whoa, how did God use me? Whoa. It's just like, there's nothing to explain that. He says, except, except helping that person into an exhilarating experience of discipleship. I mean, when you are involved and you're actually doing as Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations, and you're actually helping people grow in their faith, it is exhilarating. It is like, wow, this is so cool that God could use me to help people take their next steps of maturity in Christ. And that's why Paul is praying, Lord, would you direct our way to these people so that we can help them? That's what we want to do. And this pattern of asking God to direct your way, why this is deeply rooted in Scriptures? Let me give you just two. You might want to jot these down. Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5. Listen to these words. These, this is the prayer of someone who is asking God to direct their way. Trust in the Lord and do good. You're trusting the Lord and you're doing good. And He says, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Just be faithful where God has you. Oftentimes we want to, well, I'm really going to start following God or really be faithful when I move to this house or get out of school or do this. Actually, God has you right where he wants you. Dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness. And then he says, delight yourself in the Lord. That means find God, the Lord, to be your source of joy. Which means that he's going to have to wean you off of all the little idols that you might have in your life. That you find your sense of identity, purpose, happiness, joy in. Delight yourself in the Lord, and then what? He will give you the desires of your heart. We kind of like the last part of verse 4, like, oh yeah, that's going to be my new theme verse, or at least part of verse. God will give me the desires of my heart. Well, it doesn't actually work that way. Because you and I are selfish. Selfish. We have selfish desires. It's all about us looking great and having all this massive influence and people thinking we're really cool and we got it all together, blah, blah, blah. No. What God's interested is that you find your delight in Him. And when we learn to find our joy and delight in the Lord, He starts shaping our desires. And our desires become like His desires. To see people really know Jesus and really grow and mature in Him. And then he goes on to say, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also him and he will do it. Commit your way. God, I want you to direct my way. And you know what? He's going to accomplish it. You ask God to direct your way with all sincerity and he'll do it. You got absolute confidence. You are where God intends you to be. Let me give you another proverb, uh, uh, couple of verses. It's found in Proverbs 3 and chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. You probably should memorize these verses. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what? He will make your path straight. That word acknowledge, Hebrew word yada, has the idea of knowing intimately. And what God desires is that in all the experiences of our life, when we're working, at school, when we're resting, we're at home, when we're driving, when we're traveling when we're sick, when we're in the hospital, that in every experience, we know the Lord, we're acknowledging Him, and you know what? He's going to make our path straight. You see, it's the act of intentionally seeking God's will and confidently asking Him, would you direct my way? And the Lord will. There's a book that just came out five days ago. It's written by Candy Carson. She's the wife of the renowned neurosurgeon and actually the a presidential candidate, Ben Carson. That's the book. And, and this has been known that it's coming out. just came out a few days ago. And she talks about how they met and, and what their life has been like. They've been married now for over 40 years. It's called A Doctor in the House. And uh, she also came from very rough, difficult circumstances, as did Ben. Talks about their 40 years through poverty and tragedy and wealth and joy. I mean, this is a power couple. I mean, they both met at Yale, okay? They went to church together. And so... I mean, these are very intelligent, they got a lot going for them kind of people. And she talks about their experiences, like when they moved to Baltimore to join the community center around John Hopkins University and hospital there. Um, She talks about the the births of their three sons and the miscarriage of their twins. She talks about like what it was like and what's it like to be married to a world-renowned neurosurgeon who works... 12 to 20 hours a day, every day, saving thousands of lives. She also addresses in the book uh, the prejudice that they sometimes face as African Americans and how Ben's calm and level-headed approach made him a great problem-, problem solver, not only at home, but also in their travels, just like he was in the operating room. And Candy writes this, quote, We don't know what God has for us next, but we're ready to follow. Did you hear that? But we're ready to follow. As we head forward into the unknown once more, I thank God for putting us together. Friends, that's what it looked like to ask God, would you direct my way? got a question for you. Are you ready to follow? Are you? Are you ready to... To follow him. Well, if you want God to be your God, you have to ask him, would you direct my way? I want to follow you. I don't know what the future holds. I got some ideas. But Lord, I want you to direct my way. And he will. When we ask God to be our guide, we have the confidence that he will do just that. So you ask the Lord, Lord, hey, what is my next step in this relationship with my spouse, with my kids? With my job. At school. Lord, would you direct my way? And let me tell you how he's going to do that. He's going to direct your way through his word. You see, we need this book. And as we read, God starts shaping our heart and desires. I can't tell you how often as I've been reading through scripture that a situation I'm wrestling with or not sure what to do, you find a scripture that speaks to the issue. And that's God leading and guiding let me tell you another way that God leads and guides us. It's through his spirit. His Holy Spirit actually dwells in the hearts of those who believe. In fact, he seals us with his spirit, and he gives you impressions, and he prompts you to do things and to take next steps. Oftentimes, it's, it's directly in line with what you see in the word, and it's like, whoa, this would be a big stretch for me to do it, but I sense that I'm, I'm actually supposed to engage this person, or I'm the one that needs to be bigger than the problem and trust you, God, and actually forgive. And wade into this. And he does. Another way that God actually directs our way is by opening and closing doors. If you ask God, would you direct my way? Sometimes you're going to find that there's going to be a door that opens. Sometimes it will even surprise you. Like, wow, this came out of nowhere. And yet, I'm I'm praying, God, direct my way. And i got a sense of peace. And if the Lord has opened a door, maybe you should walk through it. Because he's fully capable, by the way, of closing the door which is another way that he guides us. He closes doors. Now, sometimes we want God, would you really open this door? Because I really want this to work out. I can see how this would be really cool, God. And sometimes he doesn't. He doesn't open the door. In fact, it's closed. Maybe it's closed for a time. Maybe there's some things going on that you don't know about that God's either accomplishing in the situation, or better yet, God's actually working in you. You're not ready. Sometimes he never opens those doors. But if you're asking him to guide... He will direct your way. And and just one other way that he does that is is through the wisdom of other God-centered, Christ-centered individuals. Run some situations by some people. I, I know you're real smart folks. But you're going to be a lot better off if you actually have some good friends that walk with Jesus and help you with some of your decisions. They're going to keep you from maybe making a real wreck out of situations. You ask God to direct your way, and you know what? I can assure you he will do just that. See, in order for God to be your God, you've got to ask him, Lord, would you direct my way? Just like we see here in verse 11. Let me tell you something else. You also have to ask the Lord to increase your love. Look at this prayer, verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. You see, God guides us by actually making us more like his son, specifically in the area of loving people. There's about 30 uh, positive and negative one another's in the Bible. The most prevalent one? Yes. That's right. It's love. In fact, if you can love one another, you actually will fulfill all the other one another's. You see, what's happened is that God guides us as our heart becomes like his heart. He doesn't want you to stay the way you are with these barriers that you've put up. He wants those barriers to come down because he intends to flow his love through you. Like John thirteen thirty four, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, so you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One another. People are going to know that you're mine and that you follow me because you're going to see my love flowing through you. And notice it's, it's a love for all. Did you see that in verse 12? He says, I want you to abound in love for one another. This is what he's praying for. That means fellow believers. By the way, how you doing with that? Are you, are you really loving the people? like in the local body here, this particular church, fellow believers. That's what he's praying for, that you learn to love one another. But not only that, but look at this. And for all people. I mean, we're talking people that are far from Jesus, that are hostile to him. Who loves like that? Well, that's how Jesus loves. Remember that? God demonstrates his own love toward us while we're yet sinners. Christ dies for us. Christ loves those even far from him because he draws them to himself through his love and oftentimes that's his love flowing through his people and so when he talks about loving for all people he intends that we're going to love people that are very different from us and he, he prays this but does God ever answer this prayer this is really cool because if you flip a page over you go to Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3 you find the answer to that prayer does their love increase well, verse 3, chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians, he says, Your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love for each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. It just keeps increasing. That's what I'm praying for. That's what it looks like when God is your guide. And why do we do this? Why do we love like this? 1 John four nineteen. we love because he first loved us. You know, all we need to do is keep thinking about Jesus. Seeing him in the pages of scripture. And when you start experiencing this unconditional love. How much he loves you. Far more than you ever recognize. There's something just freeing about that. Where we can really start to engage and appreciate people. Show them respect. Care for them. Um, Our capacity to love. God fully intends that if he's going to be our guide. We're going to look a lot like him. Let me ask you. How do you do with people that are different than you? I bet you're pretty good at loving folks that are kind of just like you. Run in the same kind of circles, same economic status, maybe look like you, live around kind of areas you live in, drive your kind of vehicle or bike or whatever you're riding around these days in. But how do you do loving people that are different than you? Remember what Jesus said in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 46? He said, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Hey, if you're only just kind of being nice and kind to people that are just like you, guess what? You're just like everybody else. In fact, you're like the unsaved. But then he said, therefore, you're to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You are to actually be mature. You're to look like the father. And that's what I intend to do with you. Warren Wearsby talks about how he does premarital counseling. And he writes this. When I counsel young couples in preparation for marriage, I often ask the man, if your wife became paralyzed three weeks after you were married, do you love her enough to stay with her and care for her? And then he just looks at it. And then he goes on to say, true love deepens in times of difficulty. Shallow romance disappears. When difficulties appear. So, when we come to situations where it's not going so well for us, we got hurt feelings, right? You've been there? What happens? We have a tendency to, like, create these, like, little pity parties going on. And we're good at it, Right? Oh, come on now. I know. You probably had one the last month. You felt this, really bad about a situation. You had this big, huge pity party going on. You don't invite others because, man, the, the less the merrier, right? It's just about you. Well, instead of saying, poor me, P O O R, me, say, God, poor me, P O U R, me. Pour me out in this situation. Help me, Lord, to be bigger than the difficulties and the situations that I'm facing. God, I want you to be my guide. I understand that that means you're going to increase my love. And they didn't have to guess what this looked like. Because notice what he said. We want you to grow in love for all people just as we also do for you. We gave you an example of what this kind of love looked like. Remember in chapter 2? We're loving you like a mother. We're exhorting you like a father. We're sharing. We're caring. We're investing our lives in your development. That's what love looks like. Paul is praying, this is what I intend for you. This is what I'm praying for you. Because... I want God to be the guide of your life. I read this fascinating account of a World War II episode. It took place December twentieth, nineteen forty three, shortly before Christmas. There was a an American uh, bomber by the name pilot by the name of Charles Brown. He is flying his bomber back after a mission over Germany, and and he had taken a lot of hits. In fact, his plane was in in really rough shape. There was another pilot that from the Germany, Germany named Franz Stigler. And his assignment was to go and to take that bomber down. To do so, he would earn the Knight's Cross, which was the highest honor for a German soldier. And so when Franz uh, Stigler approached the bomber, he saw that, well, first of all, there's, there's no tail guns blinking, no one's shooting at him. There, in fact, there was no tail gun compartment remaining. There was no left stabilizer, and the nose of the aircraft had already been shot off. And so he approaches this. And as he approached the plane, he actually could see inside parts of the plane because some of the skin of the plane had actually been shot off and was gone. And he saw these young soldiers tending to their wounded. And so he comes up closer and he, and he actually could see the pilot of this bomber. It was kind of rather remarkable, miraculous that the plane was even flying. And he couldn't bring himself to bring, shoot it down. It's because he was taught and trained that honor is everything. And he was told that if he should survive the war, the superior officer said, the only way you would ever be able to live with yourself is if you fought with as much humanity as possible. So Stigler couldn't shoot Brown's bomber down. So he pulled up alongside and he began pointing, to point him down. Well, Charles Brown, finds his plane, he's like, I am not about to land my plane in Germany and turn into a POW with the rest of my guys. No way. Not going to do it. But what, he was, what Stigler was trying to point is to land your plane in Sweden. And he starts yelling out Sweden. He's pointing, land your plane there. Charles Brown didn't understand. And so Stigler, before he pulls away from the plane, says this and yells out, good luck, you're in God's hands now. And he flies off. Well, miraculously, Charles Brown's bomber somehow made it back to England. In fact, Charles Brown continued a career with the Air Force uh, after the war for 20 more years. But this one particular event of December 20th, 1943, he could never leave it because it was like it was so pivotal. He should be dead. And so, what he decided to do in retirement. As he wrote in a newsletter for fighter pilots an ad. And it included this, quote, the one who saved my life on December 20th, 1943. And it just so happened that Franz Stigler, at this time, is living in Vancouver, British Columbia, in Canada. He's reading this, and he's like, he yells out to his wife, this is him. This is the one I didn't shoot down. He quickly writes a letter in response. And that led to a very emotional phone call. They, they had several letters that they exchanged. And then Charles Brown went up to Vancouver, British Columbia, to meet Franz Stigler. And this was one of many reunions. They got to know so, others so well, they referred to each other as brother. And indeed they were. They were brothers who had fought in the war. But they had a much stronger bond. They were actually brothers who were believers. Believers in Christ. The New York Post writes that uh, they passed away within a six-month period of time in 2008. It writes, the Post wrote, both men were Christians and that their obituaries for Stigler and Brown both listed the other friend as a special brother. That's how they refer to themselves. You know this? Let me tell you this. When you and I learn to love people that we perceive to be even our enemies, we may just find that our enemies become our friends. Friends, that's where God's taking us. He is guiding us to increase our love. And there are some times where we just have to stop, take a time out, and examine our lives according to the scripture. We have to ask the question, is our love evident? So for instance... Would our non-Christian neighbors or coworkers or the friends we go to school with, would they say that we demonstrate a love, a, a love like Christ? Would our life be categorized as such? Now, you and I have people that we could call the hard-to-love people in our lives. True? Who are they for you? You might find they might be sitting by you. They might be in your family. They might be a teacher or coach or that person at school who just makes your life miserable, right? Might be a coworker, or two, or a boss. But who are they? You see, when you ask God to guide your life, what happens is He intends to increase your love, and He is going to give you, when you ask Him, God, what does it mean to love this person? An idea. Maybe you, maybe you text them. Maybe you extend an apology. Or you forgive them. Or an act of kindness. Or you shake their hand. Or you show their respect. But what is it? You see, when God is your guide, he intends to increase your love. And he's all about the process of expanding the borders of your heart. So try it. Pray. Lord, I'm asking you to direct my way. Lord, would you increase my love? And watch. Watch how he works, where he literally is at work in you. And I'll tell you, that's when life gets exciting, when you see God at work in you. Because then you become a tool in the master's hand. And not only is he guiding you and increasing your love, but he's accomplishing his work for you. You see, if you want God to be your guide, you have to ask him to direct your way. Ask him to increase your love. And look at how this prayer ends. Look at verse 13. This is why he's praying this way. So that you will mature in your faith. Look at verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You see, what God intends is that you and I mature in our faith. That means that as we trust Jesus and get to know him, as we spend time in prayer, as we read his word, as we hear it preached, that we're being shaped. Our beliefs and our values and our attitudes are being shaped by an understanding of who God is and the word that he's revealed to us we find that as our convictions change our behavior starts being changed we start ending up becoming more like Jesus he intends to make you fully mature just like Jesus just like his son that's what he's doing because he's coming back and he's coming back and he wants us to be established without blame that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect because that's impossible in this life I know just like me you you sinned at different times over the Christmas season, didn't you? Yeah, I know. Like, How do you feel know that? Because you're human, just like me. Blameless doesn't mean that you're sinless. Blameless means that when you sin, you handle it well. You confess your sin. You just keep going back to the Lord. And you experience the forgiveness and the grace that he intends. And he's coming back. It's You see what he's praying for? He's praying that we would be without blame in holiness. Holiness This is what God intends holiness to be. It doesn't mean that you're removed from the world and society. It's that holiness is that the life of Jesus is put on display in the midst of a culture that is far from him. It's like this is how God intends to glorify himself. We live holy lives in the midst of an unholy people. We love the people and we want them to experience the goodness of Jesus. But right where God has you, he intends to use you. And he's coming back. In fact, every chapter of 1 Thessalonians ends with this reminder. Jesus is returning. And he is accomplishing a work. He wants to establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. What's going to happen is Jesus will return. In fact, chapter 4 goes into great detail what this looks like with those who have already passed away who are in Christ. And there's going to be a marvelous reunion. And Jesus is wanting us to be ready for the day in which he returns. How can you and I be blameless, like completely blameless and absolutely holy as he's praying? Let me just tell you, first of all, you have to know Jesus and receive his righteousness. The beauty of the gospel is that you and I are so imperfect. We're sinful. So God sends his son, the eternal son of God, enters into humanity, He lives a perfect life. He is what we would say Fully righteous, completely righteous, no sin, no imperfection. And he goes to a cross, pays the penalty for our sin. And what the beautiful transaction of the gospel is that Christ's righteousness is placed on your account. And our sin, Jesus, actually pays the penalty. That is the beauty of the gospel. If you're trusting in Jesus, he always sees, God always sees you united with his son. You are always forgiven. You are completely righteous because you have Christ's perfect righteousness. And to live a blameless life, you have to know Jesus, the righteous one. But you also have to be trusting in Jesus, the one who intends to give you his power and his strength working in your life. He wants you to grow. He doesn't want you to be sinning at the frequency that's going on at this present time. He wants your beliefs and your values and your behavior to change. And he is about that process and the beauty of the gospel is this, verse 13, that He may establish it. God will do the work. In fact, this book ends by saying faithful is He who calls you and He is going to bring it to pass. God will do it. So friends, if you want God to be your guide, let me tell you, He intends to mature your faith. It's an act that God is going to do, but let me tell you, you are supposed to be involved in the process. That's why He calls you to follow him. It's like the maturity tree we talk about. This is our church's vision. If you're new here, that little cross represents someone who is truly trusting in Jesus. When you do, Christ literally enters into your life, and you now have the potential, like a tree, to sink roots, to grow deep in knowing God and His Word. And as you do, you start reaching out. God shapes your character. Your relationships are handled differently. You see your work, which is your ministry, differently because God is at work and He's making you fully mature. You start from a sapling. You end up being a fruit-bearing tree. That's what God intends for our life. We become more obedient. We have a greater awareness of God's sovereignty. We have a greater love for Him. You see, when you ask God to be your guide, you know what happens? He intends to mature your faith. And so, as we begin 2016, what I'd like to ask is, would this prayer be our prayer? We've, you probably received this when you walked into worship service today. There was this little card. And what I'm going to ask is, as a church, and the individual in the church, would for the next 30 days, would you simply pray this prayer? What is the main points of the prayer that we find? It's to say, Lord, I'm asking you today to direct my way. God, would you direct my steps? What do you want me to do in this relationship, right here, in this situation that I'm facing? Would you, Lord, increase my love? How can I love God? what's my next step in this relationship and lord would you mature my faith how do you want me to grow where do you want me to be involved and friends i don't want you to be legalistic about this but i am challenging you if we did this together for 30 days we prayed this maybe you uh, prayed in the morning maybe you put this where you put your car keys maybe you put it next to your computer maybe you have it where you have lunch maybe at dinner with the whole family hey uh Let's pray this as we thank God for our food. And you pray this together. You can expand upon the points. But it's the idea, of God, would you direct my way? Would you increase my love? Lord, would you mature our faith? See, where we're going depends on whom we're following. And when we let God be our guide, you know what happens? We live life as God intended it for be, to be. And friends, think about how cool it would be if all of us were just absolutely committed God, be your guide. You know where I'm at. You know where you're taking me. I want you to know I'm fully in. See, when God is our guide, we live life as Christ intended. Would you pray with me?